Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Um, welcome to Earful of Dirt Podcast. I'm Aaron Casher. You can find me at the Shrobro. I am joined by Craig Gradelli. Uh, at Monday Morning Fly Half, and he has like three other accounts where he lurks, and far more than three, far more than three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, great weekend of Major League Rugby overall. Well, how's your week, Aaron? How's Brooke? Oh, oh, you know, Brooke is enjoying the life of a rugby widow, as it as it um, as it stands. Um, so, you know, it's. Um, it is what it is. Uh, she's doing great. Um, I think this this week is supposed to be last week. But this week is the last week where she gets to work from home for two days, except that's kind of cheating because um, Monday was a holiday observed for the 4th of July, uh, our lovely country's uh, Independence Day from the, um, the people that drink tea. What, play, you watch play. Noir. Does she watch with you? Or oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And we got um. So like, I need to find the photo, but like, two of her favorite players are Will McGee and Bryce Campbell, and we have she has a picture with Will McGee and Bryce Campbell after the Argentina fifteen game. So that was pretty cool. Um, that was a long time ago now. That's, He's a big Go Grony fan now. Yeah, big time. So and we have a because. Back when Will McGee was starting fly half for the Raptors, they said Will McGee a lot, like a lot. So, so she created the Will McGee drinking game. So it's uh, Will McGee drink. <laughs> so why is it Brooke? You know, um, but so yeah, she watches a lot of rugby with me. Um, I wouldn't say she's a rugby widow in the strictest sense. I mean, um, that, w- does Jackie watch a lot of rugby with you? No, she's enjoyed. Really. I mean, I know that she watched the rugby when we met. Yeah, um, she came to rugby weekend in Chicago, but uh, mo- most weekends, uh, yeah, we do family stuff, and then I watch the replays in the extreme hours of the morning or evening. So you don't say, "Hey, honey, I'm going to take the kids. I'll watch them um, and flip on the game." You don't do that. I, I occasionally take Teddy and do that, but it's hard to take two little kids and actually watch the game. Uh, well, with Ada, you could just be like, "Honey, I'll put her down," and you put her down in the little carriage, and if you know, only you won the game. Easy. If only it were so easy. I, I mean, I don't know if it is. That's just what Pete Steinberg tells me. He's like, "I'll take Elliot." You know, just just give yeah. me. That's what he tells tells. Like, you know, I just tell my wife that. You know, yeah, how probably. What um I think Elliot is now um because he's got a f- five year old Penelope and then uh, Elliot's like one he was literally born like mid pandemic you know so it's like the the kid has never like seen other people mm-hmm. uh which was which was kind of crazy whereas like now um they're going to like childcare and seeing like other children and all that stuff but um yeah so. Yeah, Brooke watches most of the games with me most of the time. I would say seventy-five uh, percent of the games that I watch, she watches. So it's not 
the worst, um, I would say, when it comes to being a fan of the sport. She is a fan of the men's game, um, you know, guys in uh, short shorts with, um, you know, squat rack built bums is kind of her thing. And then she really enjoys the women's game because she thinks uh, women's rugby players are fierce um, for, for being able to go out there and do something that she sort of of doesn't want to, but is sort of intrigued by. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, how do I get Brooke into like playing rugby? And like, I had stopped playing um, after I got hit by a car. And then obviously I work usually all spring. So a mixture of, working hard every weekend in the spring. And then, you know, uh, a, a day where I, you know, have my clavicle shattered, uh, obviously changed my life, but more so the, the spring where I worked every weekend took over, um, you know, what that does. And we don't play fall rugby here. So it's like spring and sevens. I mean, we practice a bit in the fall, but we don't really, we don't play a lot of full fixtures. There's like in Arizona, there's like a big tournament in December um, to open the season. And then you um, go into the cup season in the, in the spring. So, but I just haven't. And then obviously this year with COVID, it just didn't. So this is where I am now as a person that works in the sport, I am now very much a fan of fall amateur rugby because then I would have time to play. If that makes sense. Um, Fall's a lovely season for rugby. But, um, yeah, so we watched, got up and watched the Canada game, um, went sort of how I thought it was going to go. They had a little bit of spirit. Um, You saw some good things like, uh, was it Don Carson, Um, I think is his name. Um, He's a UBC kid. Uh, Would think he would be on a lot of people's draft boards for the upcoming MLR draft. I don't know if he's declared or not, but um, – big boy and he's got like three brothers that are huge like they're all like over six foot five um all at all at ubc i think are all and then he's got cousins that are just as big it's pretty nuts um and uh he got to play um see kainoa lloyd for for not being on an mlr team i thought he showed out and said hey you know anyone need a wing you know he was on the arrows um, in season two, wasn't on the arrows last year, contracted with the central training group and is playing out of Pacific pride uh, in the BC premier league. But I mean, if anyone needs a domestic qualified wing, um, there's a Canadian player uh, available, uh, whether it's for the one game when they come back or uh, for next season, I thought he played pretty well. Um, for Peter Nelson, I think he's playing in Pro De Deux or Nationale now. I know for a while he wasn't playing much. Uh, he was just – I think he was playing with Dungannon. I, I, maybe it was um, Gary Owen. Uh, Might have been, like, after the World Cup and hadn't signed a deal. Um, so, with anyone, and now he's playing – I think it's Montauban in, in France. And But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's sort of like trends are what they are. And even though Canada had a little bit more continuity than the U S cause they had a camp in the fall with um, the central training group, Pacific pride and some of the arrows um, it, it didn't, you didn't get much. And uh, in part, they were having a, they had a bunch of injured players in Europe and they had some players that maybe they didn't want to get released. I don't know. Um, don't, don't quote me on that. Um, 
but it, it it really put them on strength, and then they had some players, um, U.S. based players, that also got injured. Um, so, but just the game ways, it, it wasn't one way traffic, and this is where I'll get into like the Tonga versus New Zealand, one hundred and two to zero. Um, it's never one hundred and two to zero when the team has pride. You may not score a point, but it's never 102 to zero when the team has pride. It's never it, they played in 2019 when they had all their players uh, prior to the World Cup as a warm up, and they lost 92 to seven. So I'm not really sure that score line is um, indicative of what um, is you know a bunch of players from Europe could do because 92 to seven the difference between those two scores is 17 points, right? So, um, whereas, I mean, Canada, I mean, the boys put in effort. They just, uh, they need more time together. I mean, I don't think necessarily they matched up well with Wales. Wales has a lot of depth and we'll get to like the U S versus England game, but, um, they, they, they struggled and I think they're going to struggle. It might be worse this week against England. Depends on what, Eddie Jones does if he rotates the squad and puts a more experienced team, which he can because he has more experienced players in his camp, um, or if he puts out uh, the inexperienced team, which he put out against the USA. And that's not to say that the team is inexperienced. Like um, all of those England dudes are, you know, starting professionals, like that play 15 to 20, maybe. 25 games at the highest standard of, you know, professional rugby in the world. So it's not like they may not have international caps, but I mean, comparatively we trotted out uh, a side that was similar. Um, But um, in that regard, when it came to international experience, but for Canada, it's, it's kind of like how the world cup ended and it's kind of how they went into the world cup, whereas it was on a downtrend. And it was, it's it's going to be a difficult one. And not to say that they're going to be a pushover at qualifiers, they're not. But hopefully they get good work out of um, this so that it prepares them, whether it's to face the United States in our home and away series or beyond so that they don't go to the repechage. Because unlike us, they were a team... Um, that has won multiple games in a world in a World Cup pool, or has they made the quarterfinals in the World Cup? So they're when it comes to their performance in World Cups, they've always been better than us until the last like three cycles. Um, so yeah, when I first started watching rugby, and I guess it was twenty fourteen ish, sometime around there. Uh, USA hadn't beaten Canada in years. That's about the time the streak started. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the first win live, and since then we've never lost. We had a draw, but we had a draw. Yeah. We had a draw, but that was it. Um, yeah. So getting into the USA game, obviously you didn't have to get up early for this. I did. Um, so yeah, it, it was pretty early, but yeah, I didn't have to get up earlier than usual. The kids get up earlier than all Dude, our kids. I don't. I mean, it was like nine o'clock for you. Come on. That's, that's nothing. I mean, I understand you, you might be out on the town the night before in New York, which is completely locked down. So you're in a speakeasy. Um, it was not locked down. That's really, yeah, really open. no masks, completely back to normal. Wow. That's, that's, I, wow. I am 
that's good to hear. Um, you know, let's let's get this economy rolling. Um, you know, uh, maybe a final in New York would be interesting. We could go to that. We could, hey, I could I could go to State Club. Uh, yeah. We could do special meeting of the State Club guest invite. Ugh. Good. Uh, but, um, yeah, so getting into this, um, first game at Twickenham since 2015, I think, um, I know that we got our butts, the break speed office in 1999 when we played uh, England there, it was not, um, it was not fun. Um, but, uh, if you look at the first half and the way – one of the things we've seen with certain teams in majors like rugby this season is the ability to play defense. You may not be as talented as someone um, in attack, but you can have a defensive work rate that really shuts down the other team. And one of the one of the key teams that you look at right now is NOLA, um, and we'll get to that later, and then also Atlanta. Um, they And then New York sometimes can play sort of that style where they just hit rucks and just – keep, you know, the lines tight, but I think we've seen that with a lot of players in major league rugby that, um, people, I think there was a, there was a question on Reddit about fitness and I was just like, I was like, do you, I mean, maybe if we're comparing ourselves to the English who had finished a season, then had a bunch of tests in the autumn nations cup, and then had a Six Nations, and then played an entire season of 22 games plus a semifinal plus a final combined, if we consider that. Yeah, our fitness isn't going to be as good because we were in – last week was round 16 of Major League Rugby. Um, So, like, we don't play – thank God. I mean, seriously, we don't don't play a 22-match season because I don't think it's actually that good. And it's not that we don't play a 22-match season. We don't play a 32-match season. That's how many games the uh, first team in the premiership would play if they made it to the Champions Cup final. And I think it's a 35-match season if you are in the top 14 um, that the first team in theory would play. Although the international cap on the number of games you can play, including internationals is 32 um, full games. So I guess, and I think you're allowed like an, I may be wrong. I think you're, it's 32 and you may be allowed an appearance in some other, in like three or four more games. If your total time um, isn't already capped at 32 games. So 32 times 80, you do the math. Um, but uh, and but this is why squads are like fifty, uh, you know, on on those clubs, you know. Um, whereas, and if it's a smaller squad, like forty, like Sale runs a smaller squad usually. If it's at, if they get injuries at the wrong time of the season, they'll drop five games, like that, you know. Uh, and we've seen that, and um, fifty-two players have been used by the SeaWolves this season. Um, they they did not use a new player last week, which was nice, <laughs> you know. Um, but for yeah, I, I thought our defense really held up um, in the first half. So I think our fitness and our ability to read the ball is pretty good. Uh, and in the second half, we we saw some we saw some good shape at times, and then we saw a lot of good heads up rugby. Um, and we saw good heads of rugby from 
who I think is the most heads up player in the, in major league rugby. That's Cam Dolan. Um, he really played well. Uh, Mike Teo is again, a meme or a GIF is a GIF. He yeah. tried a, a GIF, whatever. He tried to tackle someone by grabbing. I mean, he kind of missed the tackle, but the fact that he grabbed the shirt, but not only that, he was so powerful to grab the shirt and um, was it Thorley? Um, oh, it was Ollie Lawrence, wasn't it? Ollie, yeah, it was an Ollie. So it was Ollie Lawrence who he was so fast. Like Mikey Teo's grip was so good that he grabbed the shirt but the force ripped the jersey and then his grip went down to the shorts and he he pulled off his pants and you saw a man butt on TV. <laughs> so I mean, it, it serious. Teo had a, had a questionable outing defensively. It's uh, 50 50. If you include his his attack, you know, it wasn't. The yeah, yeah, he played well in attack. I mean, he's obviously known for an attack. I, I, think, I think he was done no favors by being put at the wing at an international test and playing 15 all year. He just didn't. Yeah. I think he's played 15 all year. And so he has played wing at test level before, but with playing 15, no camp. I mean, he just did not seem like he had a good sense of where he should be positioned defensively throughout at least the first half. Uh, You got, you got a little more sharp in the second half, but uh yeah, yeah, whereas – and especially with, I think, one of the problems there maybe uh, on a pairing standpoint for Teo is that Mika Cruz started opposite him at the other wing. So instead of being right next to him um, and in line to be a playmaker and work with Te- work with Cruze, he was – not that Marcel Brocky is uh, unfamiliar per se, but that um, he's not used to working with uh, Marcel Brocky uh, – on the same side. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it was okay. Um, you know, they found their way together though. Cause the, the, the highlight reel try at the end, the Christian Dyer try started as a Mikey Teo pass. They almost did it a second time. Yeah, I know. Like literally it, it almost happened a second time. Like, yeah. they, I, we showed in this game, I thought we showed a lot of skill that we haven't shown previously, even in some of our dominating wins, uh, under Gary Gold, and when it comes to attack, I think on um, this coaching staff, what they've done in three days is what was pretty good. Obviously, we had a lot of Zoom calls with this team, so and they had a playbook like a month before the the forty man roster had a playbook a month before they called the thirty guys. So it was. And we should never have a camp. We'll, we'll save USA Rugby its future bankruptcy. Just Zoom train the rest of. Uh... The rest of all future USA. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot. The one of the things that's pissing me off is some of the USA fans and a ton of the English pundits saying that this should have been an A side game. And I'm like, no, dude. Like, if you can't get up and be proud of your team playing a test match against the United States, then don't book us. Yeah. Um, period. And, you know, if, for for listeners, if you're listening to this, you're probably following the rugby world enough to track this, but in case you are not, the British Irish Lions are also in action right now, which means a crop of players from each of the home nations is gone uh, on Lions duty. So the England team is missing some of its its star players and it even they would be missing them anyways because it's summer. And I've if you go back and this is 
this is where it's kind of a BS sort of opinion is that the English, the Scots, the Welsh, the Irish, when they tour in the summer, it is a development tour where they're looking to blood younger players. And if you look at that Scottish team that we beat, a lot of those guys went to the World Cup and are members and are like key pieces of the current Scottish team. So yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, so the British and Irish lines are gone. So like the top, I think probably eight players that would have been on an England team um in the fall, like this coming fall, not here. Uh you know, because if we had hosted this tour and COVID wasn't a thing, none of these players would have been on the team anyways. It would have still been a development tour because if you won't go back to the um, 2017 tour, uh, England went down to Argentina with a development team. And no it's one was screaming. It's the nature of the business here. No right? one was screaming for that to be an uncapped series. So yeah. we played Ireland and whatever a few years ago. I think Gary Ringrose was the only Irish starter that actually played. And the other 14 were people that had not started any of the other Irish test matches that fall. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's not England's, it's not England's top 15 side. That is clear. Uh, I think for our purposes, it also doesn't matter. I mean, they're yeah. the side we saw us close enough to the England side and far enough away from where you'd expect the USA to be, that that margin is not material. I mean, the, yeah, the between England and the USA is nominal. It should be huge, and we covered a lot of it. You know, and you know, the, the remaining first team gap. So, yeah. so they had eight debutants. We had four plus guys that had a bunch of guys that had less than five caps. A bunch of guys that had under three. Yeah. So it's not like they were facing, you know, I would say it was a relatively like for like comparison. And cause no one was focusing on the fact that we had a bunch of debutants that, you know, and a bunch of our star players were out with injury as opposed like, to Lions duty, but they were out nonetheless. Yeah. So it's, I thought we played really well on attack. We did some cool things. We had some a lot of heads up play in the second half. Um, it kind of makes you wonder, and maybe we'll get a chance to ask Gary Gold some questions uh, later on this week. Uh, that um, you know, when it comes to this, is does he think it got away? Because I, when you look at we, if you look at that second half, and then you look at the first half, I thought we acquitted ourselves pretty well um, in the first half for what I was expecting to happen. Cause just, I mean, the busiest three, like really big, but one off errors that led to English tries in the first half. I mean, it wasn't like they just, you know, built phase play against us and we were helpless to stop them. We were stopping them most of the time. And then, you know, a few freak, you know, just out of position plays or, or weird plays where they ran it all the way down for a try. So, I mean, that, you know, we have, again, we've had no camp. I mean, these things are going to happen. I, I think overall people should be very pleased with how the USA played. Yeah, and it, it was just it was just dumb because it was like, hey, you know, maybe you should just be mad that your your team played poorly um, uh, this last week because, against a USA team that had four days together because they had to hit the ground, go to isolate, get tested, they had three sessions um, and a captain's run. Um, and before that, 
we've haven't been together in 20 months. So maybe look at the fact that you guys were in camp rotating players in and out for six weeks and you couldn't do better than that. But is it not that you couldn't do better than that or the fact that, you know, we have a professional league in its fourth season and we have decent players, you know? So that's what I think is the reality of the situation. Like we actually have decent players because athletically I thought we matched up pretty well where we didn't match up as well, I think is some fitness, some work rate, but a lot of skill. And I think we can develop that skill. It's just going to, we're a little, we're a little ways off. The, the scrum. I mean, we, we actually won some free kick penalties in the scrum early on, maybe even a full penalty at one point, but they were all sort of procedural <laughs> wins. You know, it wasn't that we were driving them back or, or something like that. It was, you know, England pushed too early or whatever. I mean, when, when the scrum actually got set and was there was a competitive scrum, we got run backwards. Uh, so Yeah, I think that stuff, some of that is a footwork issue. Some of that's a strength issue. Um, some of that's like guys not having been together, so you have a cadence issue. So I think Neil Hatley, who's the forwards coach for this tour, will be able to fix that um, this week because we'll have a full week of – of, of practice ahead of Ireland and we'll, we'll get to see. I think, I think. Why not? I don't know. Great. Yeah. The, oh yeah. And uh, you know, Cam Dolan, very good in the lineup. If you're Gary Gold, what changes you make in the starting lineup? Um, Joe. Um, hey, I think he didn't start last week, but yeah, I agree. He, he was Joe uh, is a big piece there. Um, I would you consider Michael Bosco over Ruben DeHaas? I so I've been very critical of Ruben DeHaas' play since he came into MLR. Um, I expected him to be in shape. I expected his work rate to be good. I expected his – the one thing that was good for him the whole time was his kicking. His kicking has been fine, but um, he was not fit. And I thought in this game he was vastly improved compared to what his MLR form was. Is it enough? I thought we had a, a bit of a change of direction and the, the willingness to change direction that Bas, Basca has um, is helpful. But um, – I would be interested to see Ryan Reese, um, maybe Ryan Reese and um, and Michael Basca. I, I'm not really sure. There, I think there were some. There was like a lazy tackle um, on or a non-existent tackle that Ruben made um, that was that led to a try that I think is a coachable moment. But I don't know. I, I, I played well. I, I'm looking more at um, our back row. I think we really need a fetcher, um, and whether that is Andrew Guerra, because I think we need another player that can just bring high work rate. Um, and we were sort of we didn't really we weren't really balanced with that. We we had a bunch of we had three guys who could carry hard, um, and no one that is just a tackle and ruck machine. And that's where Andrew Guerra comes in. I think Hanko can can do that. I think Hanko is really good at the breakdown. I think Hanko can also carry if like, so I think Hanko has a few more skills at seven than, than record Hatting does. Um, if you need Hanko to carry, he can carry. 
if you need him to go fetch the ball, he can go fetch the ball. I thought he played good in the second half, but I would be interested in changing of our back row. I think we still need a big bruiser playing at six that can, um, you know, tackle, make some carries and hit some rucks, but that is sort of balanced. Whereas we need a seven who can go into the breakdown, get the ball and just, just hit rucks all day really and make tackles. We didn't really have that in this game. Um, so uh, I think I would like to see Andrew Guerra at least on this roster and maybe put Hanko at seven to start. And then you just with the way Hotting has been used, I think he and Salmuching or who, who else? Oh, no. Um, I think I would be okay with, uh, I would be okay with um, Jamison playing six. I would do Jamison six, uh, Hanko at seven, and uh, Dolan at eight, and then either Hotting or maybe both because we went a we went a six two split the last time, so you probably have both uh, both Hotting and Wuching on the bench. I think would be a good, um, and then you you Hotting can play lock if you need him to. So, no. I mean, I, I think we played pretty well that you don't really need to change much, but I do want to see some of these other guys get their first cap um, because I think I think Andrew Guerra's really earned it um, in this one. And, I, and it's interesting for at scrum half, all of a sudden we have a bunch of scrum halves in this country. Um, Ryan Reese being, you know, American-born and raised, Michael Baskin being American-born and raised. You have um, sort of American but not um, necessarily um, – born and raised you have Connor McManus who's since needing to take over New York has played very well um I thought you know if I look at all of a sudden we have a wealth of nines which is insane um because for 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 a good period of time you're like okay it's Mike Petrie and then after the 2015 World Cup it's like okay we've got Nate Augsburger and Sean Davies but no one else nobody and then Ruben did come through, which is which is good. Um, but even then, you're looking at going into the World Cup. It's like who's next? And then we've seen Michael Basket take hold of that sort of starting spot last year at the end of the year um, in the truncated season uh, for Utah. And then really just play at a crazy high level starting at nine for Utah this season. Nice. So um, yeah, I, I don't know if you change much really. Um, I'm not sure what to expect from Ireland. Uh, just, but uh, I thought Luke Cardi played pretty well. You know, yeah. Oh, and, and Calvin Whiting, dude is dude ready to go. I mean, Utah basically starred in this internet. I mean, Cruze, Whiting, Basket, and four, four starters, and four starters from that team. Four, four starters or four total starters were um, Whiting. Cruze, Teo, who else? Mullen. Oh, Mullen, right. And Basco on the bench. This week. Yeah. So. No. But, right. um, yeah, so uh, en- enough of that. That let's. I, w- I thought we were going to keep this short, but we just kept. Well, I'll, I'll do my recaps quick. <laughs> so, Tunnel is the episode is gold-blooded. But um, Seattle at San Diego, another sort of weird lineup change. Uh, with Seattle, you had J.P. Smith now becoming a Swiss Army knife and playing at fullback this week. Um, they had some nice, uh, some nice work. I thought Reno Herbst uh, 
after having some so-so performances uh, at the be in the middle of the season, he had a, some really good performances at the beginning of the season. He's just like a work rate, a work rate lock. Reminds me of Nate Brakely in a lot of ways that he's able to go up in the air um, and get a bunch of lineout takes. He's he can you know even um, like contend um, in the lineout against uh, on a defending lineout pretty well. Uh, uh, you've seen interestingly in this game. You saw Comptop um, and uh, Travis Larson just go after it, and they've been since since going up to Seattle, since getting traded to Seattle, they have played very, very well. And I'm just going, why did you guys trade them? You know, I mean, I, I thought Patty Ryan uh, has he he's not completely in his 2019 form, but he is definitely a really good tight head prop in this league and you know, it's, but and they just had better players and uh, what was it? Ryan Matias. I, I don't know why he's not getting the shirt. I think he's been injured, but he really showed his class in this game uh, from the wing. And then Cole Zarconi, uh, Mr. Of, Mr. Irrelevant from last year um, in his spots has shown that he can be a, a wing with pace in this league. Um, so really it's a, for Seattle, even when they perform well, they don't, they can't score enough. And they, that's the seawall is still a struggle. They're going to, it's going to be interesting this weekend because they're going to play a team that doesn't score a lot of points, but um, as Benjamin Haswell and Rocky, the seawolf have been, yeah, this is, this is, this is great banter in the comments. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Great, great banter in the comments love it uh but yeah uh, you know i think san diego not that they have anything to play for necessarily because they're out of the playoffs but they definitely have pride um on the line for themselves because they you know have sort of turned around their season because they were trending or trending really bad like they were they might have been the worst team i think were they the worst team in the west at one point i think like it was not good yeah, I mean, yeah. The worst or second worst team, and it's not that hard because they're in third right now. But you know. because Houston won week one, right? So yeah, yeah. it off, uh, and Seattle, I think, won week two or three. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, uh, decent game from San Diego. Some positive things from Seattle, but some not so positive things. Like they're on, like their sort of rotated starting front row is obviously on international duty and their, their backups front row is, is not of the same standard. And that's just what happens with injuries. It's not, it, it just is what it is. It's not really that good of a season. I think Alan Clark is really assessing the kind of players he has for next season. And, you know, certain, some of these um, longstanding players won't make it um, next year, which is fine. Um, that's just pro sports. Um, but uh, you know, um, I think San Diego definitely with the way they've turned their season around, have something to look at um, for, for next season uh, big time. Um, I mean, they or they all for a little bit, they almost were looking like they could make the playoffs. Um, but so, or at least get third in the conference. Uh, so yeah, like, uh, that that second loss to Utah that really, you know, kind of finished them off, uh, you know, a couple of seconds before that they were right in the hunt. 
So, uh, moving on to the next game, New York 6, New England 22. I I, uh, I wish – so, not only did I wish I picked this on the show last week, but I I waited until, like, the rosters, and then I was – I thought I was going to pick New England, and then the kickoff had already happened, and I got the default, which was New York. Yeah. Likely story. Uh yeah, so look, I've said many times on this show and in my columns before, I think New England's strength is playing off of mistakes. Uh, and so, you know, a game that takes place in a monsoon, I think it really played into New England's strength. Uh, and it was just a sloppy, very wet game. Neither team really could do much with the ball. I mean, there was very minimal ability to execute. It was kind of just pick it up, carry it, and yeah, every once in a while kick it and see what would happen. Uh, and yeah, ultimately it, it bounced New England's way a little more than New York. They were they were hungry that you clearly saw they wanted to upset New York and, and rattle their playoff chances. Um, you know, they were, they were home. Uh, New York missing some key players. Not that I, you know, honestly, I'm not sure that made a huge difference. I, I don't know what they could have done. New York just doesn't have, you know, the powerful individual ball carriers that would have done well in a really wet game against a hyped up defensive side like New England. So, you know, New England won. It really wasn't that close. I mean, the score stayed close for most of the game just because it was hard to actually rack up points, but, uh, I mean, New England, it seemed like the whole first half had the ball. Uh, you know, New York got held up after the 40-minute whistle uh, in the New England tries, you know, in, in the end goal that would have tied the game or more. And I feel like that was really, you know, the almost – even though it was only halftime and it was only 5 nothing, it felt like that was the back-breaking moment for New York. Uh, New England scored a few extra tries – in the second half, again, primarily off mistakes, you know, like they had a turnover, immediately ran in for a try. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, but all told, I mean, got to give New England credit, solid performance. Uh, tough loss for New York, especially given what happened with Nola. So, yeah, they had a pretty good grip on a playoff spot. It's now, I think, blown wide open, and it's going to be an exciting finish in the Eastern So, Conference. So get this before we get to the next game. So, New England could make it, all right? But they need both New York and NOLA to lose this week. And then next week, they need a draw with no bonus points for either team. Yeah, sounds pretty like – and I assume that also means they win out. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they have to win their games, obviously. But that is – I mean, they could make it, but that would be nuts. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not now. Moving on, uh, DC twenty-eight, uh, Toronto thirty-four. Uh, in this one, uh, you, you saw some good things from DC. Uh, owner son Owen Sheehy got his first MLR cap, so that was pretty cool. Uh, they had some injuries. It, you know, um, they were in a position where they could make it but they made a few mistakes at the wrong period of time. And then Taylor Adams, I thought that whereas the, what DC did was really incremental. Um, Toronto just got, got all the line breaks at the right time and they played 
Um, Taylor Adams and Sam Malcolm, both of those boots allowed them to play territory and control the game that way that the, they were, they were in it um, even when they weren't uh, because in the first half, they, they really kind of weren't in this game. And then into the middle of the second half is when they started to claw back and then gain control of this game. Um, wasn't the prettiest. It was kind of humid, slippery ball. Uh, didn't really like much of the shape that Toronto put out. I, I thought the shape that, and the, the, just the players, some of the players that are starting to play in the second half due to injury, like uh, Corey Daniel was this division one wrestler. Uh, and who is just this, he's a monster. At, at, at the ruck like he is I wouldn't I wouldn't want to meet him on the mat because you know or and apparently his brother is with the Colorado XOs and he's also a D1 wrestler so if he makes it into MLR you're gonna have two scary dudes playing flanker um which is great I, I love that we can get those types of high level athletes into the pedigree and playing rugby in the United States. Cause we're really, whether they make it to the Eagles or not, it will just boost the competition um, to make it uh, to the Eagles, which is important. Um, but it's uh, you know, with for two teams, like with identical seasons that started with a lot of promise uh, it was really a battle for pride for teams that won't make it. Uh, to the playoffs this year, and, and Toronto edged it. And um, Taylor Taylor Adam and this the I guess I guess people didn't like the the Fourth of July hot dog commentary in this game, but um, I mean I just I, I just ripped Dan Power one because he likes ketchup on his hot dog, not anything else, just ketchup. And I was like, that's nasty. That's what uh, everyone does, just ketchup. Really, that's that's disgusting. What are you doing? Um, I mean, I don't know, plain, but I think just ketchup is probably 80% of how Long Island people eat hot dogs. Ew. I mean, maybe he gets that from when he played at Nyack, but that's mustard is mustard is my base. Okay. And then I go with um, caramelized onions, some grilled peppers. Hopefully it's a street dog um, in LA and it's wrapped with bacon and it's a jumbo. Oh, the, the, ha, delicious. Delicious. Hey, Scott, I need you to to teach Craig about good hot dogs. Okay. Um, I bet you Scott's a, a ketchup guy. Maybe if Scott ketchup. is a ketchup guy. That's uh no, no thanks. <laughs> but um you know, these decadent hot dogs here on the East Coast. We just have to <laughs> you know, all simple hot dogs, no bacon wrapped onion. Then color. get then put some mustard on it, okay? At least at least mustard if you're gonna put ketchup on it. Um but yeah, uh, moving on to this, the final game, um, Nola 21, 20, Craig, dude, like you didn't stay up for this game. No one stayed up for this game except me, MLR after dark. Yeah, that's true though. I, I did Just to your point earlier. I, I took Ada, uh, this, yeah, that morning following and got up like 6am and brought her down. I watched the replay uh, you know, very, very early. And I mean, I, I saw the results before I watched it. I looked on Twitter. Uh, so I knew that Nola was going to win, but man, what a contest for Nola. I mean, such a gutsy performance. And, you know, it, it started off, I, I think the Guillotines were up 14 nothing uh, to start. So it looked like the Guillotines were going to just run away with another one. I think the commentary 
was already, you know, looking ahead to, you know, Kendall will do anything here. Is it going to be another runaway for the Guillotinis? And they just came out in that second half and just wore down the Guillotinis. I mean, they were, they, they, I think they played them just the way Atlanta did. So, you know, New York, obviously the first team to beat LA. I thought Atlanta used a slightly different strategy, but similar family, but slightly different. I think Noah copied Atlanta exactly where they just had, you know, a, a heavy rush on every play where they hit that ball before we can get wide with two tacklers and they got up, they had the fitness to get back up and back in shape to do that over and over again. And, and I think we're seeing that if you can do that, I mean, LA brings so much heat that first 20 minutes. If you can play that kind of defense and slow them down in 20 minutes, LA starts to tire. I mean, they're not playing. And, and one of the key things that I saw in the Eagles game was the ability to, we didn't, we weren't able to do it a lot, but we were able to do it enough was the ability to shut down the inside switch and um, shut down um, with your defense, which Noah did. Like, uh, I mean, the ins and I, to, to be able to like, characterize what they did was like not many teams have done that against LA based on obviously the record. But if, if you can, that is such a key piece of their offense that I wonder if it's actually a hindrance to them at this point in the season where teams are fit and ready yeah. to play defense. And if you have the line, like you, I feel like Nola and Atlanta both had such good line speed and they were able to keep it up all game. I mean, that's a tremendously tasking physical ask, but they kept with that line speed so well, and you just don't have time for really good shifts or switches. Like there's no space to buy, you know, to take a few steps and, and suck in a defender and then make a switch. If you're flat footed and you switch, it's not that tricky. I mean, the people just keep coming straight. You got to like suck your guy in and another guy and then make the switch. And when they don't have the space to do that because the lines view is just so good. And the double tackles meant they weren't getting any line breaks, which is where another place at LA excel. So, I mean, I, I think that Look, LA is 0-3 against the top three teams, likely whoever the two teams, you know, barring a New England miracle, whoever two teams make the playoffs in the East will be 2-0 against LA. I I think the, the recipe for beating them is out there now. It seems pretty clear. I mean, it's been essentially, you know, two and a half time. You know, New York's slightly different, but similar idea three times has now beat them. Well, if you – when they played Toronto in New Orleans, Toronto tried to do that, and then they got the, – The yellow card. Well, Gaston Cortez, the, you know, he, he, he got a card at the wrong time. And, you know, if you get a yellow card and what they did early on in the season because they weren't able to do it um, in the back half of this game when Kyle Rogers got his yellow, that was the softest yellow I've seen all season. Just saying, I hope that got reviewed and got wiped away because that, that was not a yellow card straight up. But, um, uh, you know, if you can front up and you can stay fit and you can do it with 14 guys, because if we've, I think if you look at most of these games, um, there are multiple yellows that the the other team has in a game against LA. And usually at least at the beginning of the season, um, it was three tries. Scott, I'm a plain hot dog guy, just to be clear. So, 
it was it was usually three tries, and towards the end of the season, when teams got fit, it became one or or none, even you know. Yeah, I, I think I think teams have adjusted. I think one they've adjusted a lot to Goddard. You know, he was tearing people up at the beginning of the season. I think defenses have gotten more prepared for what he's doing, and I think otherwise they've just realized, even just at a very simple level, physicality mess with them around the breakdown, that sort of thing. If, even if you don't beat LA, I mean, take performance to beat LA all game, but even if you don't beat them, that sort of thing really does cause them to stumble. Uh, they, and they look much more human than they did in the first half of the season. <sighs> so, um, looking ahead to week 17. Wow, we got to week 17. Knock on wood. Um, Houston at New York. We got I uh, got New York. Well, so, you know, uh, yeah. obviously now huge weekends for both New York and NOLA and Atlanta. All, all three as they uh, – I don't know if Atlanta's off this weekend or what, but, but all three teams now, the rest of the season is uh, is huge. And uh, New York gets a pretty easy matchup in Houston. Uh, hopefully. Ho- hopefully. Houston's <laughs> traveling to New York. Uh, so, you know, Houston at home is one that New York has got to win uh, in this in this close of a playoff race. They seem to be getting healthier from injuries. They're still going to be missing – they're internationals, but you know, comforting to see that Dylan Fawcett is back. I think he's a big part of the team. Um, you know, Kara Pryor was back. So I, I think at least some of the injuries seem to be recovering. I don't, you know, it's just one that New York, it, it's such a must win and, and one they should win based on the form the two teams have played in. So I'm going to say New York by 10. Houston is like a wounded bear. All right. So it's going to protect wounded mama bear so it's gonna protect his cubs right and they have nothing to play for and everything to play for because I, I know that when we say teams who are not going to make the playoffs especially when you're the bottom of the bottom of the table uh they have something to play for they don't want the freaking the wooden spoon or the wooden or whatever I think I think Bobby Bobberson changed the name, and it's no so many metaphors here. It's no longer called Mama Bear. Doesn't want a wooden oar. No, no, no. Houston itself doesn't want to have the wooden spoon, but Bobby Bobberson, redditor and listener of the show, um, said, uh, you know, made this wooden paddle thing to give to the team that finished last. And I, I, I think there's a lot of pride at stake, and. They whether they win or lose against New York, not the point. Um, they're gonna want to beat Seattle. You know what I'm saying? Um, but they are. I think they're like a wounded bear, and uh, that makes them dangerous. Um, because there are a lot of good players there. There's a lot of pride in that coaching staff, etc. That it, it could make this for an exciting game. But yeah, New York. Uh, let's go to New York by five. Um, so. Uh, San Diego travels to DC. This is very interesting. Again, a lot of pride involved. Uh, I think San Diego wants to end their season on a high note. I know that uh, DC also wants to do that, but I think the the weapons that San Diego has and how they're playing is working better. Um, and the injuries and the the lack of having the international players that they have in DC is hurting them. Whereas the 
San Diego is missing Michael Smith and Saul Wuching against, again, very good players, but um, they've easily replaced them with other back row players, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, I just, if Joe Peterson plays the last two games, I would, I would, you know, pick San Diego because I never bet against Joe Peterson, but Santiago Iglesias Gonzalez played pretty well for them uh, against Seattle. So, you know, I, they have the, they have the tools to play, uh, you know, kick tennis with the, with the players that uh, DC has, although DTS has not like his foot has not been at play like all season in, in this, in this year. So uh, they have a lot of, they, they have the edge in a lot of ways. I think they're, there's halfback pairings are working a lot better. And right now, if you look at the limited form that we've seen from Nate Augsburger, whose season I thought was done. Um, He's playing at a high level. He's saying that he wants to be back in an international shirt no matter what. So, um, might go big. Uh, San Diego, minus nine. That's big. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that is big. You know, anything over like three is big for me. All right. <laughs> be bold. Uh, I, I think. DC is just not, in my view, in a good mental place right now. I think, you know, they they had a, a there was a sense, at least for me, that they could compete for a playoff spot early. Kind of faded away between injuries and, and red card suspensions, and now international call ups. Um, yeah, I just don't. I feel like they've gotten themselves in a bad mindset, and I don't think that they're for playing San Diego even at home this week. So I'll say San Diego by 10, even bigger, even bigger. Yeah, buddy. Uh, yeah. Move into Austin at LA. Craig, what do you got? Oof, good one. Uh, you know, again, I, I think the, the recipe for LA has been put out there so much and, and Austin are playing so well, at least their attack is, I should say is playing so much better than the last time these two teams met. And we've now seen that LA is vulnerable at home. I think this is going to be, this is to me is the matchup of the week. I, I think um, Austin need to win. Really? I, I, we told this last week. I think Austin need to win to have Austin a win, need to win. their both their last two games, period. Straight up. Well, not exactly right. Cause Utah can lose out. And then uh, Austin, they need, they need Utah to get no bonus points. They need Utah to get, Fewer bonus points than Austin get if Austin go one on one and Utah lose out. So it's, it's possible mathematically, but I think unlikely, uh, very unlikely if Austin don't win this week. So they got everything to play for, but gosh, can you pick against LA at home twice in a row? I just can't bring myself to do it. Uh, so I'm going to say LA by five. I think it's actually by five, like really. Whereas the last time they played, it was by like 14. It was, was it a penalty? There's a penalty for Austin and 17 points for, yeah, for LA. What they have, what Austin has, is they have the defense to front up against this. What they didn't have the last time was the attack. Um, they do have the attack now uh, with Kurt Morath playing uh, fly half for them. Uh, I think Pele Cowley is a much better scrum half than Ruben De Haas. Like at least if we we're looking at their MLR form, I was, you know, saying, I don't understand why Ruben Dawes is playing over Paley Cali. Um, but I, I guess, you know, 
I think they have the ability to do what some other teams didn't, and that's score points now. Whereas in the first half of the season, they had almost no ability to score points. Um, I mean, LA's still number one, so you kind of have to give it to them. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be tight in this. And bookies, me picking two, giving LA two points usually means the other team is favored. So, yeah, uh, LA by two. It doesn't mean the other team is favored. It means if they played on neutral field, the other team would be favored. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So LA minus two, but uh, I I think Austin can do it. Yeah, I totally think they could do it. I'm cheering for them to do it. I think that'd be exciting. And uh, uh, I guess the only thing that I would, I, I would really think LA. And I said this in our chat. I I think LA could drop three games in a row after the four games in a row. Actually, yeah. Um, they could, they could very well lose out. They have, they have a tough schedule themselves. And uh, the, the only thing I, I don't want to do is have to be here next week talking about, is it a Gilspiracy? Because the Giltini's lost on purpose to help the Gilgronies get in the playoffs, that sort of thing. But if they lose this week, they would have to beat Utah so that they could secure home field advantage. True. So either way, whether you rest the players or not, Gill teams, what do they care about home field advantage? Either way, Gill is home. <laughs> either way, Gill is home. Oh, but um, yeah. Um, so <sighs> Atlanta at Utah. This is an interesting one because you have a you have an attack missing a lot of pieces, but I also think Utah has other pieces. The the key piece for me is not Teo and it's not Cruze and it's not Whiting because they have a, they have a ten, they have a fullback that can slot right in. Because I know Hagen Schulte isn't as dynamic as as Teo is, but he has the kicking game because he slotted in fullback in that game that they didn't um, that they didn't have Teo in for much. So uh, it's. I think they have a guy who can kick the hell out of the ball and they can play the territory game. And then they also have Cleveland Lubzer who has a good foot and he's a good attacking 10. Their issue that they have, cause they didn't, they only lost Paul Mullen, but Angus McClellan has been playing a ton. He started most of this season um, for them at tight head. So I'm not really worried about how they scrum. Um, I want to see if Elijah Hayes gets the chance to play. For Utah, he they they drafted him um, out of ICC, uh, and he's been training and he's in shape. So want to see if he gets a chance to play. Uh, we might see some other draft picks, John Cray Powers, uh, in there. Uh, the issue though is Daniel Christensen is their nine, and not to not to say anything bad about Daniel Christensen. I don't have anything bad to say about him. He has played forty minutes. That's 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 the that's the take. He has played forty minutes, so um, it's it's going to be tough. Um, whereas I think the Atlanta has figured out some of their attacking deficiencies, especially with Carolsa, and now you have Kirk Coleman back, um, and it's uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, Kirk Coleman, you, if you slot him in fullback, does he does he start? I don't think he needs. To, I don't think they need him to start. I don't. I think Adrian Carosa has played very well for them. Uh, but I really, 
I think Utah can do this, but right now, um, I think altitude's going to play a factor. Like it has, I think altitude really equals like eight points. I really think it's a thing, but uh, both rested because they're both coming off by Atlanta by three. I think uh, Utah has the firepower, even with their current roster, to to keep pace with whatever Atlanta does, but they may not have the defense, and that's the problem for them right now. Although their defense in the second half of the season has gotten a lot better. Like when it comes to stopping people from scoring just enough. Um, yeah, she's getting exhausted at the altitude in that second half. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I thought we might have a different pick here, but now you picked Atlanta, so we are not going to have a different pick. I, I think look, if Utah could beat Atlanta missing all the players they're missing, that'd be a pretty big statement out of Utah. I mean, it's just it's tough to expect them to win when they're missing, you know, so many international players. Now, Noah did it, obviously, against L.A., but I don't think we should believe that to now be the norm. Uh, so, uh, you know, I just – I yeah, later are missing a prop, at least as of right now, and that's Chance Wengleski. So, from injury. From, not, in, not, for, from injury, not from international call-up. And yeah. their only international call-up uh, – No, they have two. Connor Keyes and Ryan Rees. Matt Heaton did not get called up. He was originally, but he was out injured. I don't know if he's playing this week. Um, so I think Matt Heaton is, you know, the, the the English people like to say a talisman-like player. He is really the heart and soul of that team when it comes to just crushing rucks and making tackles and putting Momsen, his nose. My boy Momsen. Momsen pretty good at that too, but he's not the captain. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he's the captain. Uh, but I'll, uh, yeah, regardless, I'm going to take Atlanta by, uh, by six. Um, New England at Toronto in Atlanta. Crazy triumvirate. This one's you, right? Good. Uh, or is it me? It's you. All right. Uh, sorry. I should have actually looked at the script. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think. Excellent. Toronto, it's such a professional. Yeah. Top notch podcasting. Uh, <laughs> Toronto did win this past week, uh, to their credit, also missing a tremendous number of international call-ups. Um, but I think New England have just been the better team this year, even though they're away from home. I still don't view Atlanta as home for Toronto. I mean, it's been home, but I don't think they play with a home field advantage in, in Atlanta. Um, so I think uh, New England does mathematically have that chance to stay in it as – Aaron said, um, and I think they're, they'll feel good about this past win. Toronto have so little to play for. Uh, I think we're going to see New England win. I'm going to say New England by four. New England has something to play for. Toronto kind of doesn't, but they do have pride. And all those young players that they have, because they had a bunch of injuries on top of the call-ups, that, they have 15 international players. Like a full team is gone for international college. Like, holy moly. Uh, all those young players are playing very well. So, uh, that's a, I want to see. I mean, New England's most is at full strength now. Uh, kind of like Taylor Adams. 
little bit more than Bodie Walker, even though, you know, I think Bodie Walker has finally started to look good at 10. I thought he had a great game for New England this week. Mm. All considered. This is hard. Uh, not, I, I never picking a draw is impossible. I, I mean, it is a, it is a flight. You know, it's still a long, long road. I guess road trip. Uh, yeah, Toronto. It's a longer point. road trip for Toronto. Yeah. Over three days. Toronto, Toronto, by, Toronto one by one point is what I'm going. Oof. For. All right, good. We had different picks. They <laughs> <laughs> were the same. Uh. Uh, Nola at Seattle. I know that some people think that Seattle can do this. Um, I think the power of belief is a hell of a thing. I do we think. need the earmuffs, Rocky, before you go forward here? Yeah, Rocky earmuffs, man. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think the power of belief and the power of culture, especially when people really believe in each other and you have just enough talent to get over the line, um, really matters. Like You can have a great culture and you can have great belief, but if you don't have enough talent, it doesn't matter. Um, and then if you have a lot of talent, culture and belief don't really matter because you can win games without it. Um, see the all blacks. Sorry. I know people buy legacy. Sorry. No, don't, don't believe it. Sorry. Sivu Reese and Aaron Smith look up their stories. Not exactly. Well, Aaron Smith's not a bad guy. He just did really dumb things. Sivu Reese, not a good guy. Just, just saying, um, but um, and they those guys got into the squad. The no dickheads rule and all that stuff. I, I really don't believe in it. But um, hey, Rocky, if you're right, if you're right, I will put on the dang scarf and I will put on the dang hat. Actually, I have a shirt too. I will put on the shirt next week if you're right. Um, but I really think that you know, in the same sense that. Toronto needed to be very thematic with their season because they were playing every single game away from home. Um, Nola has been very good about being thematic and um, choosing themes for their the rest of their season, and that theme for them is the Road Warriors, and it's working out. Uh, they have gone uh, to New England, won there. They've gone to uh, DC, one there. Um, and they've gone to LA and one there. And uh, if you can, if they can stop that defense or that attack and get through that defense enough, because if you look at this game, like they, they could have scored more points, you know, like they, they were, especially in the second half when they were rolling, they had a shot to like, not, uh, not let LA have a bonus point, you know? So I think they have enough power on attack. I think they have, uh, their defense is legit. Nola. And I, I just don't believe in Seattle, especially with Brad Tucker out. Eh, yeah. Nola nine points. Yeah. I, I just, I can't see Nola blowing this one and then therefore, you know, really dulling their chances. I don't see them torpedoing their season. Yeah. Against Seattle. So uh, lucky you're still my top choice mascot for our TV show, but uh, I'm going to say Nola by 10. Uh, TV show. We need to, oh man, we really need to get this, get this up and running. It would be dope. Uh, 
Yeah, so that brings us to internationals and questions. Because we actually had a bunch of questions this week. Uh, so get the easy one out of the way. Canada versus England. What do you think? I think England's going to win. Uh, they're going to win by more than they beat the U.S. by. Uh, I'll say uh, it's almost like picking a score seems – too far afield. Uh, I'd say how many tries is Canada going to score? I'm going to say it, over under two. They scored two in their last game. I think it's a that's a decent over under, but I think their the margin is going to be similar to last week for them. Yeah, people are looking at like a 50, 50 point margin. But what I think they're looking at, um, and if Eddie Jones rotates his squad to have more test experience. They're looking at a different. It's going to be weird. Um, I don't know why. And, he, oh, and Canada had two injuries. Yeah, I Josh mean, Larson Eddie Jones would all of a sudden try to go with the more experienced side. I think if anything, he goes even less. You know, starts even the <laughs> even less experience. experience. And why would he? I mean, what would be the point of putting the more experienced team on now? Uh, so I, I, I don't think that I don't just think rotating that, guys because you want to see what they can do. Yeah, rotate those the guys who came in off the bench last week to starters. That's what I think he's going to do. <laughs> but um, all right, USA versus Ireland. I think uh, this week we have a real shot to maybe not win, um, but I think we have a shot to really show some improvement. Um, and it's. Uh, if we can, I said last week, if we can stay under 30, uh, I would be very happy we stayed under 30. So if we can keep it, keep the deficit under 30 and also score points uh, like we did this last weekend, I will be happy. Uh, I'll put the line at Ireland's 25. Yeah, similar to what I'm thinking. I mean, I, I, one, Thing going against the U.S. coming into this weekend, uh, the the attention their performance against England is getting. You know now there's going to be a little more wariness, a little more fear of being embarrassed. I think uh, so. They're not going to sneak up on Ireland, but I think the margin is going to be bigger than it was against England. Uh, even though England may be a overall slightly better side, uh, so I'm going to say I'm going to say Ireland by 21. But I, you know, I think USA will still equip themselves well. Yeah. Um, so moving on to questions uh, on the Insta, no, not the Instagram, but the Twitter uh, from Petard's Hoist or at Hoist Petard's on Twitter. Uh, what do you make of the coaching turnovers, and do you think they should be filled? with experienced internationals or homegrown talent. Um, I think it depends. Uh, I think that having experienced international coaches is helpful, especially if they are able to hire and mentor U.S. assistants and are able to input programming that allows us to grow U.S. assistants. I don't really care for sort of the top league model where all they do is just basically bring in international coaches for every single team. Um, which, I mean, helps them because they have great coaching IP at that level, but it doesn't really train assistants that well where to take over. Um, but we just saw with one one team hired the Houston Sabercats, hired Heineke Meyer, which, I mean, I think it's a great hire, but it really depends on what he's able to do with 
a staff that he assembles. And I think that he could assemble a U.S. staff that um, is good. Uh, I don't think it's, it necessarily means he needs to go hire technical coaches um, from overseas, I think. But he's likely to hire coaches from overseas. I just want to see U.S. coaches develop in a system to eventually take over and lead American franchises. That's that's the reality. Um, so, yeah, I think having international talent in the coaching stream is good uh, for U.S. teams, especially a guy that coached that was the head coach of the Springboks. Like the fact that we could get that caliber of coach. Uh, in a U.S. team is is pretty pretty cool, um, but uh, the next question I think let me, let me look and see if there was any more. Uh, nope, not from him, but from Craig uh, Balumba uh, is the name on Twitter. Is like how well are MLR teams recruiting with poaching taking place by Tier One nations? Has to be positive, but frustrating at times. I mean. You just you just kind of let it go. I know that there was um, a transfer fee, um, whether it was small or large, for Richie Asiata because he was under contract with the Toronto Arrows. So some players, um, teams will be able to get their tra- be able to get some of their expenses back from developing players or for paying for visas or whatnot, um, and allowing players to go do things like become Super Rugby AU champions. Um, and the reality is that I, I know in the soccer realm, there's a lot of transfer fees in rugby. There really isn't that many, like there aren't that many transactions and transfer fees. Cause usually all these transactions happen, uh, after the end of the contract, because, um, in rugby so far, there isn't a like sort of transfer window or, and also the fact that, in rugby regular, I don't know if it's, I think it's premiership regulations and same with top 14 and all these other leagues. You're allowed to talk to other teams while you're currently contracted, which I also find insane being an American. Um, but um, yeah, monetizing players. If you can get some money back for a foreign player, for an American player that you spent developing them, that would be important. So monetizing that. Interestingly, what about the coaching drain because Darren Coleman, who is on a multi-year deal, um, already uh, got is the you know Weretas head coach next year, and then Ryan Martin becomes the attack head coach, who is on a multi-year deal with the Free Jacks. Was there an exchange of compensation to get them out of their contracts? If not, um, was it just hey, goodwill, go off and do great things? That's I mean that's fine too, um, but it would be nice if there was some if there was some transfer fees to get the or not a transfer fee for a coach, but a buyout involved, maybe it wasn't the full amount of the contract, but if you get some money off of that. Um, so it takes, so it, I guess limits your investment uh, exposure. That's cool. Um, so what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think uh, unfortunately, like, I see why someone would say it might be frustrating, but I, I think really ultimately it's a good thing. I mean, think to yourself, what, 
what is going to motivate good coaches to come to the MLR? I mean, it's not going to be huge coaching paychecks, right? That's not where we're at right now. So it's not the opportunity to leverage this job into a higher profile job internationally. Then you just don't have any currency to offer to attract good coaches, you know, the top level coaches. So, I mean, it's really a question of do we want really good coaches or do we want coaches that will stay here forever and not make that much money or, or, you know, be that high profile in the rugby world. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's probably the former, right? We want good coaches to come. And until this league becomes more financially strong, that means they're probably going to have quick turnovers when they're successful. Uh, hopefully that success will leave behind a growing, thriving business that will continue to snowball to the point where it's now its own self-sustaining, financially powerful organization. And then you'll stop losing those coaches because they'll be paid – commensurate with their abilities and then you'll be able to retain the best talent in the world but you don't get there day one you know this is i think unfortunately the only way to, to build up to it i think you know when it comes to domestic coaches and having them able to coach mlr teams we're seeing that we have domestic coaching talent that are leading u.s teams um you know uh atlanta look at them yeah, scott um, lawrence genius nola i understand that nate Osborne is Australian, but he's been here for like 20 years. So I, I he didn't start, he played, he, he ended it. He played here a lot. He didn't start coaching until he was, you know, in the U S. So I would say Nate Osborne fits into the mold of he's still an American coach. He may have been born somewhere else, but he's got three American daughters and an American wife. He's, he's American, you know, the truth um, is you're going to lose the good American coaches too. I eventually, mean, yeah. We yeah will. It's not just because they're international of origin. It's because the best coaches are going to get offers for better paying, more lucrative, more fit, you know, fame surrounding jobs elsewhere. And I mean, Scott uh, Ferrer points out that Marty Veal has been here a while and sort of, he was the coach for old blue for a long time. Then was the forwards coach for USA under Mitchell. But then after that, he went to the Sunwolves and was the forwards coach for the Sunwolves um, under Tony Brown. Now that like, if he's going to come, if, if I'm not going to stop an American coach from, being able to take in an opportunity like that because they're going to be able to develop more and maybe they'll come back and coach an MLR again. Um, or they'll coach for the Eagles um, and become the Eagles coach or something. Cause like Gary gold is a great coach, but at some point he's not going to be the coach. So if we have American coaches here, like you're not, not only do are you not that there's a threat um, from the U S from USA rugby, but there is opportunity domestically to coach the U S national team eventually for some of these domestic coaches that will become the next step for that coach. So you just have to a develop coach development programs that help collegiate coaches get upskilled that help. Um, Cause there are college coaches right now that could be MLR coaches. Like no joke. That could be head coaches, but it's about, I mean, probably one of the things is about stability. We're in our fourth year and, you know, some of those guys are in good situations. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a confluence of issues, really. Um, but yeah, like you said, um, even the top 
American coaches who perform really well will likely have the opportunity to go overseas or move up to the Eagles. Um, so you just have to get that assembly line built and just start cranking and churning out coaches, just like you're churning out players with your academy systems. So, and well, the, most of- the more you do that, the more the more opportunities you churn out, the more valuable that currency is, right? The less you need to actually pay people to attract good talent because you're paying them with the opportunity to be put through that assembly line. Yeah. Um, so I think that's all for Twitter. Uh, moving on to Facebook. Um, Benjamin Haswell, who will make the playoffs and why? Uh, I think it's... I think it's Utah... Los Angeles, Atlanta, and then I don't know. Ah, <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to jinx anyone here, <laughs> but I am wearing the- now. I Nola missed the playoffs in 2019. Um, I think it would be. Good. I think they have a chance to make the playoffs. They have a real chance. I think obviously next week is going to be what really determines um, who. Yeah, it's like an election on election night and they're like too close to call yeah it's it's it is that close because um now Atlanta has at utah at new england they could also i mean it's certainly feasible they lose out and i think atlanta could lose this week i don't see them losing to new england i'm I'm sorry (laughs) now Atlanta solves all their issues by beating like any issues that they may have by beating um Utah. by beating Utah. So uh but uh I, I think the big thing is is it would be crazy if Atlanta lost out with no bonus points because that would put um I think that might put it as long as well New York and Nola one of them so has to lose at least New York, if New York and Nola both won this week and Atlanta lost out with no bonus points the rest of the way, and either New York and Nola draw or the loser gets two bonus points, that would put... Or even one bonus point. It would put the... Assuming they oh, yeah. Out, yeah. It would put yeah. them ahead of Atlanta. Yeah, it would put them ahead of Atlanta. So, so yeah, it's, it's a too close to call. I don't know. Uh, for the East, other than Atlanta. That's my call. So what do you got? Uh, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna say New York uh, at home gets into the playoffs against Nola when it, when it comes down to the finale. <laughs> Otherwise, I agree with you though. Yeah. All right. Um, next question. Um, Alex Rybachuk. Any word if Dallas Jackals are joining for sure next year? Speculation on the next expansion team to balance the conferences. Always welcome. Um, I mean everything I know because I've been on a bunch of calls with uh. Dallas for some other stuff when it comes to talent ID. I, I, they're working. I mean, they're still doing stuff. So I am under the assumption that Dallas is Dallas is in. Um, I think that that's the reality. Um, another team to balance, uh, pick a, pick a city. Um, Can I get harpooners? <laughs> Can I get harpooners? Uh, pick a city, uh, Cleveland. Cleveland. It's just not very easy for an East Conference team. Well, I mean, your East is Dallas. 
East of the Mississippi River, so St. Louis, Kansas City, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Chicago, uh, Champlain, uh, you know, Nashville. Actually, Nashville. Let's do Nashville because we can have a great night out on the town. Nashville. Have my bachelor party in Nashville. Um, so that'd be good. Uh uh, Nicholas Sarabia, uh, the recent news about yet again marijuana and sports. Do we know what MLR stance is on players and marijuana? What's your s- say for players' use? And this is sort of – I had sort of an official answer because um, – so marijuana is on the ban list for in-competition usage. Um, and everyone knows it's banned. Everyone. Like, don't smoke it. Like – but to to give you an official answer, MLR is a sanctioned competition by USA Rugby, and we're sanctioned competition by Major League Rugby. Um, so that means it's – and I went to the list that's on the WADA website because MLR has to follow the WADA code. The players have to follow the WADA code. And, well, uh, yeah, MLR has to too. So no shooting your players up with EPO or anything. Um, it's – World Rugby Regulation 21, anti-doping. That's 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 my answer. Um, whatever's on the list, don't do it. That, that's I, I don't I don't miss, like I don't really care like what you do personally, but if it's part of if it's a job requirement, don't do it. Like I had a job where I got drug tested regularly all the time and uh, couldn't do drugs. So, and yeah. I don't do drugs now. I wouldn't say I'm doing drugs now, but because I'm not, but I'm saying uh, just if it's a job requirement and you like the job, don't do it. Yeah, that's 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 my position, personal position. I must say that personal position. Um, I know that there are other people involved with this show, but um, yeah. I agree with that, though. I mean, if you disagree with the rule, then pursue changes to the rules. Don't just take it upon yourself to ignore the rules because you don't like them. Because there, there, there are ways to change the rules without also violating them. Hmm. Um, but the reason why marijuana is on the ban list, um, for one of one of the many reasons. Is that mar- is that THC or in synthetic THC can be also be used as a masking agent on top of the abuse um, that it can, you know, the narcotics abuse that you can deal with with it. Um, so it is literally used as a masking agent for people taking steroids. So also the munchies lets you really calorie load. That's unfair. <laughs> I, I mean, I love me some pasta and Oreos at the same time. I'm just gonna crush my Oreos on top of my spaghetti. <laughs> no thanks. Or so I've imagined. I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna get into that. It's been. Uh, if if you're gonna ask me if I had smoked marijuana, the answer is yes. Um, I can tell you the last time. I'm 32. Um, so 15 years ago. It's been a long time, and I don't intend don't intend to ever again. Like, there's no no reason. Um, there are 
plenty of legal ways to have fun. Legal ways to have fun. Remember that, kids. I know it's a children's show, but we cuss a lot. So, <laughs> uh, Another question from Benjamin Haswell. Um, can the Eagles improve their, their second-half performance against England to surprise Ireland? Um, no. <laughs> I, think they get, I think they can score more points and play good defense, and it's still going to be a loss. That's, yeah, I mean, I think they can play well. I don't. I mean, they they beat England in the second half. So you're saying, are they going to beat Ireland? Uh, I think that's a tough a tough lift. No, um, yeah, I I believe in the Eagles. They're my squad, but I just uh, I can't do it right now. Sorry. Yeah, maybe uh, they had AJ. Uh, dude. Oh, and also, Will Hooley was dropped from the squad. He's in concussion protocol. Will McGee, who was not activated for the 30-man because he was previously injured, um, has been activated. So I don't know if Will McGee is going to get to play, um, but he's in the squad. Um, so Richard yeah. Hatting cleared of all wrongdoing. Oh, yeah. Richard Hatting uh, passed um, cleared at his disciplinary hearing. So uh, he's able to play. Um, so we'll see. But, um, you know, Jesus. Uh, six games this week, guys, four on Saturday, two on Sunday. Enjoy your Major League Rugby. And if you are Canadian, please uh, watch Les Rouge. And if you are American, please watch the U.S. Eagles. And if you just like rugby, please watch both games. But, um, well, don't ask me how to find it. Just, just find it, you know? Uh, that's us. Uh, we're long and in the tooth for this one. So uh, see you all next week. Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Please note, Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. His opinions are his own.